service. We call it getting together on Sunday in the auditorium at Vertical. But what we're actually doing is trying to push a little bit closer and a little bit further into what God's trying to do in our lives as a community and in our lives individually. This is an incredibly special place that God has established on planet Earth where you can count on his presence when you show up. That's great news, isn't it, Vertical? So we sing together, we say words together, we greet each other with love and acceptance in the lobby because we know when we are together as is promised by God, God is here. It's going to be a sacred few minutes together today and I'm excited that we're able to share it together. This is one of the great joys of my life to be able to do this with you on such a regular basis. We're going some places together as a community and we're going some places together today. How's that to start church off? Yeah, you better deliver on this promise, Ben, if you start this fired up. So here's what we're doing today. If you'll notice, I have a book coming out in a few weeks. I'm kidding. I would never do that to you. I'd never do that to you. Our uh, digital content team thought it would be funny to uh, make me look like a famous pastor, which I clearly am not. We're starting a series called Fact or Fiction, where we're going to be discussing, investigating together over the next four weeks the beliefs that we have about God that naturally emerge from the way that our lives go, it's understandable, these beliefs, but they're actually, in the end, incorrect. I think it would be helpful for us to maybe start with a phrase. I love phrases because they're memorable and they send us all in the same direction as we begin things. I want us to get together on this one phrase before we move ahead. Now, before we roll it up there on screen, let me just apologize for how simple this sentence is. But as is often the case, the sentence may be simple, but the idea that it contains is extremely complicated, and that's why it's going to take us four weeks to work it out. Here's the phrase. The things we think about God aren't always true. That's a difficult sentence to utter in the South, even for a pastor to say, the things we think about God aren't always true. Let's start here. He isn't nearly as predictable or distant or angry or weak as we've made him out to be. There's a reason for all these caricatures of God being out there because if they are true, then it makes it much easier for us to walk away from him, doesn't it? Who wants to follow a distant, angry, and weak God? But I want to announce today before we get to the Bible, and we will discuss a lot of the Bible today, these things are not true about God. They aren't and he isn't. These fictitious beliefs, they're actually very common, and they lead us to some difficult places. I get that. Don't you get that? Isn't it easier to see God as distant, angry, and weak, maybe having checked out? See, here's what I want to tell you in the most honest way I know how to say as a follower of Jesus Christ, taking off my professional Christian hat for a moment and addressing things exactly as they are the best way that I can. The gap between us and God is understandable, isn't it, Vertical Church? As much as it's been explained to many of us for our entire lives how much God loves us, we still have this feeling when we think about God that he's so different from us. We don't have to rummage much further than our own personal history, especially in the American South, to see how we as a collective treat things that we see as different than us. When it comes to God, the way that we deal with this distance between ourselves, the gap between who we are and who God is, the way we deal with that can have huge ramifications on our faith. 
even diving down a little more granular can have huge ramifications on the decisions that we make in the circumstances that are repetitive and interruptive that clash together. We call that life, don't we, vertical? Sometimes life is repetitive and sometimes it interrupts us and how we view God, the things that we think about God, whether they are fact or fiction can have huge implications. Here's the thing, God knew this was going to happen. He knew that we would have trouble with this distance and he addressed it openly, just like God, to get out ahead of us. Here's what he says in Isaiah 55, verses eight and nine. Here we're starting the biblical portion of the morning. If you're one of those people who has trouble keeping up with the verses that we're reading or the things that are being said, all you have to do is pull up version on your phone, the Bible app, and you can find us as a church and all of my notes are there for you to reference later if you just wanna relax and not note take and experience the morning. Here's what Isaiah 55 says, my thoughts, this is the voice of God, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Here's what God is saying, you're going to feel some distance between me and you. That's natural. And you should actually be thankful for that. The emphasis here on the otherness of God, God is saying you should be appreciative of that distance because I can think things that you can't think. And I can see things that you can't see. And here's the most comforting part of these verses. I can do things, hear me on this if you've checked out already, I can do things that you cannot do. That's comforting for a lot of us, isn't it? We got any Jesus followers in the room? That's really comforting, but there's another side of it, isn't there? If he's that far away, if, he that, if he's that distant, if he's that other than, there's kind of a nagging part of these verses that just isn't really that comforting. People wrote about this as well throughout the pages of history and especially throughout the pages of the Bible. They bring this topic up in their prayers and in their songs, especially when they're in moments where they really need help. Let me prove it to you as a for instance. Micah chapter seven says this, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. The emphasis here on the otherness of God is that he is so forgiving. I'm going to slow down and say that plainly because the church has done a very poor job representing that in previous decades. So let me repeat it. Everybody here? The Bible tells us very clearly that God is unusually and supernaturally forgiving. It's part of his character. He doesn't stay angry forever. More on this topic of anger later. He is loving. God is loving. And this is a message that has dimmed over time. And Christian people, Jesus followers, are largely responsible for this message becoming dim. But that means that we have the potential to change that belief in our culture. God is loving and forgiving. We are so fortunate because of this part of God. Let me continue to prove myself here. 
after Moses, a key figure, a key leader of God's in history who stepped in as God decided to restore something that was broken, this man helped lead a nation out of captivity. One man chosen by God, the first domino that leads to freedom after hundreds of years of slavery. After this moment happens where God sets his people free, many of you have seen the movie. He turns around in Exodus 15 and he begins to sing this song. We actually shared these words together a few weeks ago in a service just like this one. Exodus 15, 11, Moses says, Who is like you among other gods, Lord, glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders? This man experiencing his life, doing one of the hardest things he ever did in all of his years living, turns around and sings this song and says, God, you are so other than. You can do things that we cannot do. The emphasis here on the otherness of God is his power. That apparently it's in God's character to move into impossible situations and to solve things supernaturally for his children. The pages of the Bible over and over and over again are telling stories of humanity reaching the end of its strength and efforts and God moving in supernaturally to extend their lives. That's encouraging news, isn't it, Vertical Church? This is still going on today. It's when you sit in a doctor's office and a doctor says, I've been there. I literally have no explanation for this. It's when you're able to discuss things with your friends and you're looking back over your history and you say, I literally have no explanation for this. The explanation for that is the power and the activity of God in your story, whether you recognize it at the time or not. But there's a problem with this, isn't it? Understandably, we have a problem with this. And here's what the problem is. It doesn't always go that way, does it, Vertical Church? Sometimes... Life wins, we lose, and it feels like God's on vacation. Can I say that without God being upset at me? I sure hope so. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like in our story that life wins, we lose, and God's on vacation. Now, obviously, this isn't true. The Bible tells us very clearly. God doesn't sleep like we sleep. He's not unaware. But what we're talking about at this stage of the morning is not what's true or what's not true, what's true or what's false. What we're talking about is in our lives what feels true. And sometimes those things are very different. Let me give you a phrase. This is how I talk about it amongst my accountability and internally. With God, sometimes we feel maybe he's got it, but he just doesn't get it. Here's what I mean by this phrase. Maybe we believe in the power of God, but we don't really believe that God can understand what it feels like as we're pacing through the things that we're going through. This is a very deep thought, but it's also very true. It's a place that Christians often hide. We talk about the fact that God's got it, like ultimately he's got it. But what we believe in the dark places, when we pour our drinks in the evening and the house gets quiet, we're just not sure that God gets it and we wrestle in that place, don't we Christians? If you're in that place today, I want to tell you that the things that we're going to discuss over the next few minutes are going to really, really help you. 
If you're in this place, I want to give you a very strong word of caution. If you believe in the meta-narrative that God's got it, but in the micro-narrative of your life that he just doesn't get it, I want you to be very careful because this represents a crossroads. Not just a crossroads in your faith, but a crossroads in your life. There are only two roads that you can take from this place, and they are both cul-de-sacs, dead ends. You will get to the end of these roads and circle back and come right back to where you were before. Let me describe them for you. The first road can be described as using God selectively. Now, we all participate in this, right? None of us trust God as much as we wished we trust God. That's true, isn't it, Vertical? I'm not talking about going through a season where you're doubting. We talked about that a few weeks ago. None of us trust God as much as we wish that we trust God. I'm not talking about a season. I'm talking about a lifestyle. This is how this lifestyle looks. When we hit a situation that we can't solve, we do this call, this emergency call to God, asking for rescue. If he does rescue and things work out, then we get to this place of peace and we kind of settle back into life as normal. If it doesn't work out, then we become pretty angry with God until we need God again. This is the first path of using God selectively. If you're in this place now, I want to tell you, just hold tight, okay? I'm going to give you some information to keep you from going down and back on this road for the rest of your life. The second road, the second cul-de-sac can be described this way, abandoning God completely. Now, let me do some very intricate teaching here, so tune in. For those of us that abandon God completely, life gets easier. It feels more free. The enemy makes sure of this. It's his pattern. It's been going on since the beginning. I can only imagine that as Adam and Eve took that first bite of that first fruit, don't you know that it tasted awesome? It was created by God in perfection. It wasn't theirs to have, but that doesn't mean that it was evil. It had been created by the hands of God. And I know as they took that first bite, they probably thought a few things that they couldn't say in a perfect place. It was the bitter aftertaste of that fruit that drove them mad. Don't you see the pattern of the enemy? Abandoning God, let me be very forthright with you, in the beginning will feel great. The road will be a downhill, gentle slope, and the breeze will feel so nice, but eventually the bitterness will catch up. Rather than staying in the fight and committing to hope, over time we just eject. And this decision, let me give you caution if you're on the fence here, this decision is very, very hard to reverse. So what's the alternative? I've created the tension now, yes? What's the alternative for us? If we don't want to use God selectively, believe false things about him that life has kind of led us to believe, if we don't want to abandon God completely either, if that's not a good idea, what do we do? How do we live the understanding of the facts about God rather than the fiction that our life and its trauma have caused us to create? Again, God has beat us to it. Jesus dramatically and definitively has closed the gap between us and God. If you want to know what God is like, you will study Jesus. This, by the way, is the best way to grow in your understanding. People are confusing and hypocritical and just as broken as you are. 
And if you stumble upon one who is more mature than you and you sit with them long enough, you will find the pockets of their life where God is still growing them. I'm not causing you to push away from community, but I am causing you to push up to the life of Jesus Christ. God said from the beginning, I will close the gap between myself and my kids by sending my kid. Am I making sense to you today, Vertical Church? This was a bold move by God, and it provided every answer to every question you will ever ask. If you want to know, I can say confidently as a Jesus follower, if you want to know, you will study the life of Jesus. Learn Jesus, and you will know God. See, Jesus lived as one of us, and as a result, he understands what happens in us when things happen to us. Jesus knows what it's like to be human from the first person point of view. For you literature people, I looked that up, it's correct. <laughs> Here's what Hebrews 4 is trying to say. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 16 through 16. You've heard these verses already. Will you allow me the privilege of reading them again? Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. I just got to go back and read that again. We don't serve a Jesus who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he didn't sin. Mad respect to Jesus. How about you? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive. This is a message of Christianity. We should be speaking more. Because of the work of Jesus, we can, no matter who we are, no matter what the family has said about us, no matter what the news has said about us, no matter what people at church have said about us, we can confidently approach the throne of God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And in that place, we will receive. There is very little doubt left based on the words of the Bible how this transaction should go. I don't know what is haunting you today. I know what's haunting me today. And for too long in my story, it's kept me away from God where I can receive these two things, mercy and grace. Don't we need some more of that vertical church? Oh, I'm so passionate about this because I've lived too long outside of the throne room of God where God is seeking to do holy surgery on my heart to help me live with confidence. This is what Jesus came to do, to rescue us, to give us confidence. He knows heaven and he knows us. And it's his habit to motivate, to enact one to help the other. This is what Jesus does. Today I want to focus on three of the most common human emotions that if we aren't careful can convince us everything I've said up until this point isn't actually true. I'm focusing on these three emotions because in my years working inside of this particular church, I've identified these three emotions as the critical emotions that will turn people away from God to cause them to abandon God. I have named them the devil's cocktail. And over your story, 
Trust me with this. He's got a shaker. He's loaded it with ice, and he's putting these things in the cocktail and shaking them up over your story, pouring them confidently right in front of you and asking you to take the drink because if you do, there's a high chance you will turn your back on God. You'll believe me in a moment when I list these three. They are in your story in a very specific combination to anesthetize you to the love of God. Anger, betrayal, and suffering. The enemy needs no other emotions than these three sprinkled over humanity to turn God's children against God unless, unless we know that Jesus was able to drink this cocktail and hold close to his father. Jesus convinced us through his life, it is possible to drink the devil's sauce and stay in relationship with God. I'm pretty thankful for Jesus this morning. How about you? Everybody okay? All right. Sometimes I go on these rolls and then I take a break and I'm needing you to say, yeah, keep going. There we go. Let's start with anger. How about it? It's been the dominant emotion for the last couple of months. My concern is it will be the dominant emotion inside the church for the next decade, so we're going to talk about it some to rob it of its power. There's this day that the Bible talks about in the life of Jesus. It records this moment, and it's different than any other moment that it records over the life of Jesus. It stands out, and man, I'm glad it's in there, because without this story, such a large part of my personality would feel abandoned by Jesus. Let me read these verses for you. They're kind of lengthy by vertical standards, but you can hang in there for this. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out all the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. Now don't get lost in all the religious stuff here. This sentence is pretty important. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, and I don't think he was like real Ned Flanders about this. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves, and he's flipping over furniture. You get the picture here, vertical? The blind and the lame came to him in the temple. Well, he had run everybody else out, so there was room for a party. After that, Jesus healed them. The leading priests and the teachers, notice this is the second place anger shows up. The leading priests and the teachers of the religious law, that would be the pastors, saw these wonderful miracles and even heard the children in the temple shouting, praise God. But the leaders were angry. Isn't that the way? Jesus is disrupting our system. He's healing people and our committees didn't approve of this. They're so angry. They asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? Do you see how you're corrupting the next generation? Jesus says, yeah, I hear them. Haven't you ever read your Bible? It says you've taught the children and infants to give you praise. This is what God does. And then he left. How about that? All my life I've heard this story taught, all my life. And here was the emphasis. Jesus was angry for a good reason. And in his anger, he didn't sin. Amen? Amen. Let's back up a little bit. Here's what the Bible is trying to tell us. Jesus was angry enough to start breaking furniture and yelling at preachers. Jesus knows what your anger feels like. 
He knows that moment where you take in a big deep breath and your face gets hot and you start making decisions really quickly. Jesus knows what anger feels like. He understands your anger and he knows how it feels. Feeling a little closer to Jesus today? How about betrayal? We got to move through these quickly. Yeah, he knows betrayal too. And he knows it in a very up close and personal way. Just before he was arrested by Rome, there's an action-packed evening where a lot of things happen. And if we're not careful, we'll miss the emotion that motivated a lot of these actions, and especially the emotion of Jesus. Jesus goes off to a distance from his friends, and he begins to talk to his father about what he knows is about to happen. And he asks his friends to keep watch. And here's what his friends did. They fell asleep instead. The Bible says, Matthew 26, then he returned to the disciples, his, his really close friends, and he found them asleep, and he singles out Peter. And he says to Peter, I just want you to picture the face of Jesus, even if it's that Chicago American version that was hanging in your grandmother's house. Picture that. <laughs> Jesus says to Peter, couldn't you watch with me just one hour? I'm just asking you for an hour, dude. You couldn't do this? I want you to watch and pray so that you don't give in to temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I think Jesus was saying, Peter, after the boat, after the catch, after you sinking in the water and me saving you, after, the, after all of that, I'm just asking you for 60 minutes. I believe Jesus felt Betrayed. As the story plays out, Peter betrays him even more. Jesus understands betrayal, and he knows how it feels. Feeling a little closer to Jesus today? Lastly, suffering. I've done a poor job of time management. You guys going to stay here through the afternoon? I'm kidding. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that to you. We'll, we'll suffer. Thank you. Now i got to skip that whole point. Let's go to the end. I'm kidding. I want to show you something that's a little bit corrective, and I will admit to you this is, an, a pers this is a personal agenda that I've got. I've heard this taught, I believe, incorrectly for a very long time. Jesus knows suffering, and even people who are outside of the church understand that Jesus and suffering are linked. Due to biblical illiteracy, we've been preaching this wrong, a lot of us, for a long time. He says these famous words as he's hanging on the cross. We talk about these at Easter a lot. Matthew 27, the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, listen to these words, how they would have sounded out of the mouth of Jesus. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthini. I don't know about you, but just the spirit inside of me does something different when I hear it, not in English. What Jesus was saying that day on that cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in this moment? As horrible as his physical and emotional pain must have been, spiritually speaking, based on his words, this must have been the height of Jesus' suffering. They should not be interpreted that somehow because Jesus was so bad, God checked out. What kind of message does that send to the children of God? Here's what Jesus was actually doing. He was quoting the lyrics of a song that brought him great comfort. Let me prove it to you. Psalm 22, verse 1, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthini, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? 
Look it up later today. You'll be surprised. Psalm 22, you know what it says in verse 24? It makes a dramatic turn. Jesus, too physically weak, probably to sing this whole song on the cross. Verse 24 says, For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. This is who God is. This is who Jesus is showing us that God is. He has not turned his back, the song continues, on them, but has listened to their cries for help. This vertical church is who God is. Jesus shows us by understanding our suffering. He knows how it feels. So in your life, when you feel that Jesus just doesn't understand, I want you to think about these things. Point made, right? But what do we do with this? That's always the question we ask at Vertical Church. This series is about changing our mindset and the way that mindset affects our behavior. We must know that God doesn't just know us some of the time. He knows us all of the time. And His knowledge of us and that understanding should bring us great comfort. We have a God vertical who understands what we're going through. Let me give you this phrase as we're wrapping up the morning. The one who made it knows how it works. The craftsman understands what he makes. He knows it inside and out. And in case we're confused about that, he sent his son to experience life here on earth. No matter what you're in or what you will be in in the future, understand that God understands. And he understands in a way that allows him to take perfect action to restore you or invite you to the life that he's made for you, no matter the cocktail that the enemy has forced you to drink. Oh, God understands. The one who made it knows how it works. We can be confident that he understands. And no matter where we are today, may he increase that belief in us. Let's pray together. God, I'm going to ask you a very direct prayer, wrapping this service quickly, understanding that you walk with us all the time. I'm asking for all of us that you would increase our awareness, our awareness that you understand. I ask boldly, God, that the people in this room will begin revealing things to you that previously they thought you could never get so that we may experience your grace and your mercy in new ways. Transform us, God, from the inside out in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, First Service, for braving the weather. We'll see you back here next week.